Welcome to an extra episode of Misalign. This week, our special guest is Jesse Richmond, and I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself since he does more things than I can remember. So, Jesse, go, go <laughs> ahead. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Um, so, I do a lot of things. Like you said, I am a lawyer by day. Uh, which I think we'll discuss a little bit later, but generally I stay out of the music world for that. Uh, but the other thing I do is I am a writer. I was a senior editor at the uh, dearly departed property of Zach for, I guess, about six years, and I currently do freelance writing uh, for a number of outlets. Uh, Alternative Press is kind of my biggest one. Uh, I do a lot for MySpace as well. And then recently I've been doing a lot for a couple of uh, news weeklies down here in, uh, in South Florida, uh, the Miami New Times and the uh, Broward Palm Beach New Times. Uh, and aside from that, I am busy with a two-month-old baby. So that takes up most of whatever free time I had left. Yes, and congratulations on that, by the way. I'm sure it's Thank you. very exciting and terrifying all at the same time. <laughs> it's It's been wonderful, and I still don't understand how they let me walk out of the hospital with a baby. <laughs> yeah, so I just want to start off real quick on, you mentioned a bunch of places you freelance for. So how did you kind of get into freelance writing on top of being a lawyer, or did that kind of start while you were going through college and law school and all of that? Um, do, do you want the long version? Sure. I <laughs> <Okay>. have time. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, when, you know, I think as with anybody who spends time writing and thinking about music, I've been obsessed with music since I was, you know, in like junior high school, since I was a teenager. Uh, and so when I went to college, I, uh, I got very involved in the music community at, at, at Brandeis University where I went to school. Uh, I wrote for our newspaper. I was kind of the like the music person in our arts section. So that involved everything from doing record reviews to covering a lot of live performances on campus, uh, interviewing campus personalities, that sort of stuff. Uh, and so I did that all through college. I was a radio station DJ, all that kind of thing. And then after college, I just kind of, I don't know why, but I never thought to follow through with it as kind of a career option. So I went off, I, I had a couple of jobs, you know, tried to figure out what I wanted to do, eventually settled on going to law school, all of that. Um, and then so, uh, long story short, 2009, you know, there's this site called Tumblr, which is still kind of in its infancy at the time. Uh, and I see people are talking about music on there, and I think it's kind of neat. And I start my own little personal music blog, just to, you know, just because I haven't written in a while, and I wanted to you know, flex my, my writing muscles some and tell some stories and talk about some music I like. And, you know, Tumblr at the time was a very small place, especially for people who are kind of into the world of alternative slash indie slash emo slash pop punk slash whatever else you want to call it. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, that there weren't that many people writing about that kind of stuff. So if you were, you know, doing searches or tracking tags or whatever, it was kind of the same people you'd run across over and over again. And one of those was a 16-year-old kid named Zach Zarello. Uh, and so, you know, we started following each other on Tumblr and just sort of, we, you know, realized that we were both in New York City 
And so I can't even remember what show it was, but there was one show where I happened to spot him in the crowd because I, you know, I knew what he looked like because he had you know, posted photos on his Tumblr and stuff. So I just went up and said hi because we kind of knew each other from Tumblr. And, you know, that was, you know, so we started, you know, sort of a casual friendship. Uh, meanwhile, Zach starts up his blog property, Zach, you know, which at the at the time, you know, it started as kind of a, a Blink-182 fan site. And it was just <laughs> Not real, surprised at all by that. Yeah, and it was a real sort of low-stakes affair, you know, eventually started, you know, interviewing some friends' bands and things like that and decided he wanted to, to make it something a little more serious. And so about, after about nine months of running Property Zach, he, he hit me up and said, hey, I'm looking for somebody to, to write some reviews and stuff for the website. Would you be interested? Uh, and, you know, it just seemed like, you know, a fun outlet for me, you know, I wasn't really looking for anything specific out of it. And it wasn't, you know, it didn't promise any kind of big exposure or anything like that. You know, we probably had a couple hundred kids a day looking at the site. Uh, so I said, sure, why not? Uh, and so I was the first person other than Zach and uh, the first editor-in-chief, Emily. Uh, I was number three at Property of Zach, and I stayed there for the next six years while the site kind of grew into this monster. And so, you know, I just sort of grew with it. I, I really enjoyed what I was doing. I embraced writing. Uh, as the site grew, I started doing venturing out from just doing uh, reviews and into first I was doing interviews and I started writing some features. You know, I went down to South by Southwest a couple of times and blogged about my trips there. And that it just really sparked something in me that I hadn't realized I had missed. You know, it was something that I really loved doing when I was in college and just kind of had forgotten about how much I loved it until I started doing it again. Uh, and so from there, it was just kind of, okay, well, how do I keep doing this? And how do I keep finding new and interesting things to write about and new and interesting places to say these things? And so, you know, I started just, you know, sending out some casual emails to editors of other sites saying, hey, you know, this is me. I write for Properties Act. Here's a couple of things I've written. Maybe you'd like me to write for you someday. And, you know, after about three tries at Alternative Press, uh, and after following pretty much everybody on staff at AP on Twitter and interacting with them for you know a good year or two solid, the uh, the head guy over there, Jason Pettigrew, uh, Mike Shea is the, the president and owner, but Jason Pettigrew kind of runs the, the day-to-day operations there and runs the whole magazine. And so he hit me up and said, hey, uh, I've got this band. Uh, they're called Being as an Ocean. We're looking for somebody to do a story on them. Would you be interested? And I said, yes. And it just kind of went from there. And so from then, I've been featured in just about every issue of Alternative Press for the last two years, uh, including I did the, uh, the cover story on Mayday Parade a couple of months ago. Um, and then after that, you know, that kind of got my confidence up. And now I had some, you know, some legitimate clips at a, at a national magazine. And so I started sending out emails to other editors saying, hey, I've written for Alternative Press. So would you like me to write for you? And uh, so MySpace took the bait. And then recently, like I said, I started writing for a couple of newsweeklies down here as well. And what's neat about that is uh, I really love the the you know the the punk and emo and scene, whatever you want to call it, that world. That's kind of my my sweet spot. But there's a lot of other music I like as well. And I didn't really have a place that I could write about that stuff. And one of the neat things about writing for for the local newsweeklies is uh, if I'm writing for the Miami New Times, they're covering pretty much every major performer who comes to Miami. And so it really gives me an opportunity to talk to people that I never would have been able to talk to otherwise. 
So through that, I've interviewed uh, Emily Haynes of Metric. I've interviewed Ben Folds. I've interviewed uh, Sam from Sam and Dave. Uh, if you know the song Soul Man, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, which is really, really something that I'm still, I still can't believe I interviewed a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. And yeah, so it's just kind of, it's just kind of taken a life of its own and I've just sort of followed where it's led. Yeah, so just to backtrack real quick before we dive deeper in some of, into some of the freelancing stuff, did you have any interest at all in doing like entertainment law while you were in law school and kind of going that route and still kind of working in the music business in an area other than writing? Or was that something you kind of wanted to separate from the two things? So you have, you know, your law um, practice and then the music stuff is separate. I mean, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. When I, when I was in law school, um, I took a, a number of courses and things like, like uh, trademark and copyright law and a course on internet law that covered like rights of publicity and things like that, stuff that would come up a lot in entertainment, in entertainment law. And, you know, so it was always kind of something I had in the back of my head. And in the end, when I was looking for jobs, I, I fell into something else. And then after I started writing, I realized I kind of wanted to keep them separate for a while because I didn't want you know, I didn't want to spoil my passion by making it my work and by making it such a grind that I wouldn't enjoy music anymore. That said, after having kind of led two separate lives for the last six years, uh, I've, I've been reconsidering that a little bit. Um, like I mentioned, that I, I recently moved down to South Florida, and so I'm kind of trying to figure out what I'm doing career-wise in terms of the law side of things. And so I, I've been looking into maybe getting into entertainment law. So, you know, if... If you happen to be an entertainment lawyer in South Florida and you're listening to this podcast, feel free to, to hit me up. <laughs> Definitely do uh, that. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm now starting to consider ways to sort of integrate those different parts of my life into maybe one thing. But we'll see where it goes. Nice. And one of the freelance sites you mentioned that kind of piqued my interest was MySpace. And I was just kind of wondering what that entails with the current place that MySpace is in, I mean, to me, and I know some of our friends who are in the music scene and everything, I don't think many of us visit MySpace ever anymore. So I was just wondering, is that something where it's kind of hard to get traction for those pieces and whatnot? Um, you know, I, I haven't found that to be the case. Um, the thing with sites is everybody laughs when, when they hear MySpace. It's like, oh, I, had, I remember MySpace in 2004, or like, you know, when you put me in your top eight, or, you know, or people don't even know that MySpace is still a thing. And it, it's definitely a very different thing than it was back then. But, but my question is, how often do you go to a site to get your music news or information or entertainment anyway? How often do you do that versus how often do you read something because somebody has tweeted it or posted it to Facebook? You know, right. I, I, I don't really go to the sites anymore. I, I read what comes across my feed and I just make sure I follow all the people who will put out all the good stuff in, into my feed so I can find it. And yeah. so, so I, I've found that, you know, with MySpace, it hasn't really been an issue uh, in terms of getting stuff read. Uh, it's been really great working for them. Uh, Katrina, the, the editor over there who I work for, is wonderful. She's taken all kinds of pitches from me. Uh, she kind of, she's very open to sort of letting me pitch her, and she says yes to pretty much everything I send her way, which has meant that I've gotten to talk to Andrew WK for them. Um, I've spoken to uh, Pentimento recently for them. 
but I've also done, uh, I did uh, an up and coming pop singer named Phoebe Ryan, who I'm really into. Um, I, I did what kind of one of the first interviews that I've seen with her out there. I did recently uh, an indie rock band called Florist out of Brooklyn that are really good. And the neat thing about MySpace is they, they've built sort of a wide ranging entertainment news site. And so they cover sort of everything from the pop world to the indie world to the punk and emo world, uh, which means that I can kind of go to them on stuff that maybe wouldn't make sense on alternative press or an act that isn't necessarily playing locally. And so it wouldn't make sense for me to pitch them to one of of the local outlets. But, you know, if if it's interesting music and I like it and I think, hey, this person seems like they might have an interesting story, they seem to be happy to, uh, to make a home for it there. So, yeah, know. and I totally understand that because that's ultimately why I just ended up kind of creating my own blog mm-hmm. to do s- some writing for because I like tech stuff, I like sports, I like TV stuff and music, and I kind of – it would have been much harder to find a place where I could write about all those things. I would have had to, you know, find a whole bunch of different places. And then sure. also I would have had to actually – be able to write for them if they even wanted me to. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to do my own thing here. And I mean, my website really doesn't get that many views, but I also don't really care because I'm doing it more for myself and for the stuff I enjoy than I am for page views and that sort of thing. Exactly. And and for me, you know, having music writing be sort of a a second or a supplementary career for me. It means I really have the luxury of, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not writing to, uh, to make my paycheck. I'm not writing to, to put food on the table. I have something else that does that, yeah. which means that I can kind of pick and choose what I write about and I can decide to only write about the things that interest me, uh, which is really a, a, a luxury. And I recognize that, but, but it's one that I'm taking advantage of as much as I can. Yeah, and another one I wanted to dig a little deeper in was Property of Zach. You said you were there for six years. I did some work on the site, too, probably mostly because I ended up living with Zach while we were both going to Drexel together. So I kind of was lucky enough to get to see that side of things, like, you know, when Zach would start freaking out and everything. (laughs) But I kind of just want to hear from your point of view, being there for six years, being one of the first people on the site, what you thought about when the site got started and then how it progressed from there and kind of blew up into this huge popular site. I mean, I don't think any of us saw it coming, really. Yeah. Uh, but, but Zach is an incredible workaholic, as you know. Uh, I'm, I'm sure living with him, you must have seen that he basically spends, you know, 100 hours a day. Oh, yeah. Life. I hardly we... ever saw him, and I lived with him. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, it was one of those things where we were just kind of watching the site slowly build and, you know, we, we would talk, you know, every day for hours, you know, online, you know, messaging each other and stuff. That's usually Uh, how I had to talk to him as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, just as the site was slowly building, we, you know, talk strategy and talk about where we wanted to go with things and come up with ideas and we talk about adding people to the site. Uh, but it was all very organic. It was you know, we, we came up with plans sometimes for like new features we wanted to roll out or things like that. But it was never like, we're going to do this and it's going to hit this traffic number and then we're going to spin off to this. And, you know, it was, it was very kind of seat of the pants and organic. And it was really just sort of neat watching it all happen. I think we also 
you know, it was like most things that are successful. It was a combination of hard work and good product and luck. And the luck factor in our case was that property of Zach was really one of the first few sites on Tumblr to be doing this uh, right at the time when Tumblr was blowing up with the exact age group that was listening to the music that we were covering. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that it's hard to overstate how fortunate we were in terms of timing and, and where we had set up the site. You know, if we, if we had built the site on WordPress instead, it, I don't think any of this ever would have happened. Uh, but we happened to be in the right place, the right time. And then Zach happened to make some of the right connections at the right time. You know, he, he happened to befriend, you know, the man overboard guys and the one New years guys, uh, right as they were at the very beginning of starting to take off. And so, you know, he was fortunate that they were sort of, you know, we were carried along in their wave. Uh, and as, as they, you know, went from being little scrappy, you know, Jersey and Philly, uh, punk bands into sort of the leaders of, of a pop punk scene a few years later, you know, Property Zach was really carried along with that. That said, you know, you can't understate how much work we put into it as well. I think in the early days, uh, all the video content we were doing was really a big boon for the site. You know, we were doing sessions with, with every band you can think of. And actually, I, I just want to point this out for listeners. If you're into if you're into a lot of those bands that I was talking about there, if you're into sort of what was happening in, in pop punk and in emo and like that kind of 2009 to 2012-ish range, uh, go on YouTube and find the Property of Zach YouTube channel or go on Vimeo and find the Property of Zach channel. They're still there and there's like literally hundreds upon hundreds of acoustic sessions and live videos of bands that you love and that you had no idea were out there. I mean, I, I remember looking back through it a, a year or two ago and finding like a bunch of videos of the hotel year back when they were called the hotel year, you know, two <laughs> right. words, you know, there's, you know, the wonder years playing the upsides in full. There's all kinds of great stuff. There's, uh, I want to say it's Frank Turner and man overboard, uh, covering blink 182 acoustic in the, in the middle of a, a crowd at warp tour. There's all kinds of neat stuff worth digging around in there. If you're into that kind of music. Definitely. And you mentioned, you know, having cover features and alt press and everything. Print is always a whole different monster when it comes to writing. I know, especially for alt press, you get albums so far in advance that you can't even talk about them to anyone because no one else has it pretty much. So can you just like walk through what deadlines are like for a print magazine? Um, I mean, it depends on the kind of piece, although, although deadlines are very far out, it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting more time on something than you would on, uh, on, on a web something or other. Right. Uh, so like, um, you know, we, we usually need to have articles in say, I think the issue goes to press about a month before it comes out. Okay. And so if I'm doing a piece for the issue that comes out at the beginning of March, I need my copy turned in by like the last week of January. Uh, I'm usually getting assigned that piece in maybe the second week of January. Okay. So I still only got, you know, two weeks to, to get it done if that involves, you know, an interview and then transcribing it and then writing a feature out of it, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, so it's not like you have more time to work on it necessarily, but you do okay. need to get things done pretty well out. Now that said, something like, like the cover story I did, I had, you know, probably, I think it was close to three months lead time on that. And I had a good month, month and a half to work on it because that involved flying out to meet the band and setting up phoners with all the band members that weren't there and dealing with the publicists and then, you know, writing a, a long feature that took some time and a, a number of rounds of edits. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's on a different schedule, but it doesn't necessarily all that different in terms of the actual work that you're putting in. Right. You just have to get it done sooner than you normally would on a website or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you, you have to bear that in mind, you know, so the kind of pieces you're writing aren't necessarily going to be about breaking news. It's more... You know, okay, this band has an album that's coming out in two months, so we're writing the feature on them now, so that the the issue comes out the same week that the album's coming out, right. and so so it's timely. So uh, that said, you know, as a freelancer, I'm not really in on the back end details of that stuff. You know, that's all handled in house. The editors figure out what they're going to cover and assign it out. Uh, based on what they want to see in that magazine. Digital is a little different. For digital, I, they're more open to taking pitches. If I see something interesting that I want to write about, I can send it their way and say, hey, would you would you want a piece on this? Uh, for the print mag, it's kind of really all internally directed by the editors there. Okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you too long since you do have a two-month-old, but the last question I have for you is... Um, what albums are you looking forward to this year? And if you have any, you know, 10-year albums, we recently discussed that on Misaligned, and if you want to see anyone tour for those and that sort of thing. Mm, 10-year, man, I, I, I wish I had a list in front of me, because I'm mm -hmm. sure there are plenty, because 2006 was a really great year. Uh, I can tell you for sure what, what I'm looking forward to coming out this year. Okay. Um, but number one on that list is, is the new Kanye album, seems like it's finally actually really happening after being teased for, you know, two straight years on it. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for that. Um, I'm really excited for the new 1975 album. Uh, I, I like a lot of what I've heard, you know, the advanced singles so far. And, and I loved that first album. Uh, I can't wait to hear Thrice's reunion album, uh, quote, quote unquote reunion. I guess they never, <laughs> they never technically went away. They were just on hiatus. Right. But, uh, but I've been a huge fan of that band for, for more than a decade now. And so I can't wait to, to see what comes out of that. Uh, and, you know, it's funny considering I work for Property Zach, but I'm not really a big Blink fan. Uh, and yet I'm super curious to hear what's going to come out of this whole Mark Hoppus, Matt Skiba version of Blink-182 because I am a huge diehard lifelong Alkaline Trio fan. And so, yeah. and I just... It doesn't make any sense in my head, but so, so I, I'm just really, I don't, I don't really have any expectations for it, but I can't wait to hear what it is that they've come up with. Right. Yeah. I think that whole combination there of songwriting is going to cause a lot of people who maybe normally wouldn't listen to Blink-182 listen to this simply because like you mentioned the Alkaline Trio relation now and It'll definitely be interesting. I still yeah. feel like I'm the only one who's excited for a No Doubt album. Maybe that's because I'm the only one I've talked to about it who's from Orange County. So, you know, <laughs> got to be loyal to Gwen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was never the biggest No Doubt fan, I have to say. Even, and I mean, I 
go back to like the Tragic Kingdom days. They just never quite did it for me. I think Gwen's right. a, a marvelous talent, but but I can't say I'm super stoked on that one. But I'm curious to hear if at least it sounds more like No Doubt than the last No Doubt album, which yeah. is sort of a Gwen solo album with the No Doubt guys playing on it. Yeah, that's how I felt about that too. I'm also pretty stoked to see if Frank Ocean will finally have something out this year. Uh, I, I feel I, like I, Channel I, Orange I would... was so long ago. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I was not the biggest Channel Orange fan, but I loved uh, Nostalgia Ultra, the, the mixtape that he yeah. put out for Channel Orange. And I'm kind of hoping that that maybe he dips into that a little bit more. I thought it was a little more structured, a little more melodic than Channel Orange. And right. I'm I'm really like deep down. I'm I'm a song guy. I'm a melody guy. You know, I, I think it's great when somebody can make, you know, a 10-minute epic with lots of twists and turns where they never repeat themselves. But g- give me something with, with a great hook that I can't get out of my head, and that's what I'm going to come back to every time. Yeah, and I, there's definitely going to be a lot of good, smaller, you know, pop-punk bands with releases this year. I yes. know, I think Sundrest is working on some new stuff. They are. I actually just wrote about them for uh, for AP. It was in, I believe, last month's issue. Uh, it's a new a new feature we're running over there, uh, where it's uh, it's called. I think it's just called Twelve Bands for the Month of Whatever. And so the Twelve Bands for the Month of January. I I, I did. I wrote about Sundressed. Um, their last EP, I think, was fantastic. Um, I know this won't be coming out for a couple of weeks, but they just had all their gear robbed from them yesterday. Yeah, and I'm hoping that by the time you guys all hear this, they will either have some of it back or, you know, have a good chunk of money to replace it with. And I know we mentioned this on a previous episode, but they had merch taken, all their instruments, everything. And another member on tour who is a solo act, Chase Hewlin, I hope I'm saying his last name correctly, I believe all of his merch was in there as well. So. Yeah, that's, that's correct. And, and today, uh, uh, their uh, Sundress record label put up all of their music as uh, as pay what you want uh, with all the proceeds going to the band. And they're also doing a limited edition T-shirt with the money going to the band. Yeah. So I, I don't know if those will still be out there as options when this when this goes live. But if it is, check them out. Kick some money their way. Uh, they're a fantastic band. And I can't wait to hear what the full length sounds like because I think they've got all the promise in the world. Yeah, and even if that stuff isn't pay what you want by the time you guys hear this, still check it out. I have both EPs on vinyl, definitely worth it. They're doing great things. I think I think they can end up being a pretty big band in the pop punk scene. And I'm really glad you like them as much as I do, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked on them. All right. Well, I will go ahead and let you go. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Thank you for having me. No problem. I'm thinking Kanye's album is out, what, February 11th, I believe? Uh, It's either the 11th or the 18th. I don't know. Well, this episode will be out on the 18th. So hopefully by the time you guys are listening to this, Jesse will have heard Kanye's album and we'll probably have to have you back to discuss that at some point. I would love to. I would love to because I really can't wait for that one. (laughs) Yeah, I will be sure to give it a listen too. Be prepared. All right. All right. Well, thanks again, Jesse. Thank you. Bye-bye. Enjoy the rest of your day, everyone.